0: I'm very blessed to know that we're gathered in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the man who's the head of our church, our Savior, our Lord, our King. He's coming. He's coming for his bride. I've been so deeply blessed by the messages of this day. The Various times of sharing since I've arrived here certainly spoke to my heart, and I'm thinking on some of these things. It's good for us. I think I could take this message I'm assigned now and refer back to the one that Brother Glenn gave and just say, go do it. Do that likewise. Be taken care of. We'll trust God to, uh, well, to help me that I in no way take away from it, but... If we can build and remind and maybe flesh out just a little more because of the nature of the message. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this group of brothers, sisters, for the churches represented, for the work that's represented, and I pray, God, that our being together will help to draw our hearts towards Jesus to equip us with greater zeal and fire in the bones and and wisdom and and decision of our hearts to walk in these ways bless us during this time this coming hour too that we look at this subject that's before us and we thank you father in jesus precious name amen So I looked at this title and I thought about the words. I'm not in any way criticizing the committee. I think sometimes it is good to say the same thing several different ways for emphasis. I really think there are pretty tight synonyms in the way they're used here, that we be proactive, deliberate, and intentional. It gives the idea of you think things through, you make a knowledgeable decision, And you're not just reacting, but you're planning with a purpose. And I thought about that in connection with Brother Glenn's message. So does this mean, as we realize that Midwest, I certainly could include in there, Cumberland Valley, has challenges today and certainly will have challenges tomorrow, so we must sharpen the machinery. Oil it up, gear it up, and get it going here and make sure we make the right decisions, have the right committees, right plans. And I trust that's not the case. I I personally believe that the church does need machinery. But when we see needs in the church, it's not the place to start. We go back to the source of life, back to the, the mission of the body, the commission we've been given. So I, I believe this thing of being proactive, deliberate, and intentional Speaks to our vision, our zeal, our passion, our desire, and our goals. And one of the first verses that came to me when I thought about that is is the first commandment. And uh, our brother laid it out, why that should be true. But To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. In order to be, in the sense of the identity, life, and loyalty to our Lord Jesus Christ, proactive, we're going to need the vision of this prayer of Paul's. Ephesians 3, verse 14, following... For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, And length, and depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. World without end, amen. Regardless of how close we might be to the North Pole, that uh, world without end reaches right to here and uh, throughout all ages reaches to 2017. Here it is. We are a group of people that the desire of the Lord Jesus Christ would be. That in the inner man we would be strengthened in such a way that there could be glory in the church. The glory of the presence of the living Christ. And as we cited yesterday, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So that's, that's the vision and the goal that we want to be proactive About and for this to be taking place in in the body of Christ it normally needs to begin with those who are called to be leaders in the church it's not saying that God can't lift out people of vision and strength amongst the non ordained people but then a lot of times if it's not amongst the leaders they kind of get in the way that is the leaders kind of get in the way So it really needs to start with those of us who've uh, been called that we would be in tune with God and and be zealous of his work and his cause and his glory. And it was suggested that I would look at Acts 6, the account of the call of the deacons in light of this subject. And I would like to go there with you. There's at least two things in that passage that I think is important for us to look at. In Acts chapter 6 and the first seven verses, the story of when deacons were chosen. Acts 6 verse 1, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a the murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer, and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And what I noticed in this passage when we talk about being proactive, there need to be enough brethren who are called to any given task to properly carry it out. They need to have the time and the uh, the vision to get it carried out. And the church, in order to prosper, needs to make it possible that her leaders have enough time to pray. Now, Brother Glenn, in the way you used it, there's, there's no mark against you at all, but you did get this backwards when you said it this morning. You, and, and, and I only say that because I think about it because I think about how we Mennonites do tend to get it backwards. That's not his fault in this case. But he said to preach the word and pray. And the apostle said it the other way around. That we may give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I want to tell you something, that's pretty common for us Mennonites. Uh, Dale Heise year, years ago told me, he said, do you, if you take a stopwatch to any Mennonite service and, and keep exact account of the amount of praying we do in a service, it rarely even adds up to five minutes. Please be careful with that. I don't want you to spend your next 20 services timing prayers. But it is largely true. We, we don't pray too much uh, in public. I, uh, I hope we do better in private, and I'm glad there is such a thing as private praying. We don't all need to know what each other's doing in our prayer lives. I understand that. But I will say this. If you told me, Dwayne, I want you to preach a message and then give an invitation, and you better guarantee me that you're going to get people to respond. That would be a very carnal request, by the way. But if you were to do that, probably the subject I would pick so that I could be sure and get on someone's conscience would be prayer. (laughs) Um, I've only met a person or two in my whole lifetime that told me confidently and sincerely that they feel they pray all that God expects them to pray. If you'd like to add yourself to the list, you can tell me afterwards. But um, it it is tough work and something that challenges most of us. I think if we want to be proactive, it's going to have to be born out of our time with God. Because... This whole subject that you're considering these days, and I bless you for it, but our machinery either tends toward cold legalism and finally death and monuments, as our brother was saying, or it directs us back to the source of life. And so it takes, it it makes a lot of difference where we're getting our cues from, whether God is pushing us from the inside or whether we're just reacting to circumstances that come our way. And I really think that one of the great needs of the conservative Anabaptist church is that ministers have more time to be more full time in the ministry. And that prayer would be part of that. I want to tell you something. I spent 17 years as a full-time paid missionary in Guatemala. And being a minister in Guatemala is not the same as being a minister in Maryland. And one of the differences is a time factor. Now, I understand we ought to be disciplined, and I'm not going to advocate a salaried ministry. But maybe we ought to do a better job. And I heard this cry from Dennis' heart when he was talking about you know, I have to confess to you, see, I've never been asked to come to Maranatha, and don't bother asking me, I probably won't come. But, uh, I mean, to be a teacher, I have been here for missions, things, and so forth. The reason I wouldn't come is because of so many other involvements, not because I don't love you people. Um, but well, I have taught in Bible schools, and, you know, uh, we're limited in how much we can do that because it's almost a V.S. position. It's about a half-pay position. And a lot of work in the ministry is that way. And so we've almost forced our ministry to do one of two things. Be business, fairly large business people, or be very, very part-time ministers, one of the two. And one of the things that tend to suffer in that is prayer life. Another big one, I already heard it mentioned here and it got all over my toes, but it's facts. Visitation, especially to the elderly. Not to mention the lost that are out there. And, and why do we think it's, it's a danger? I think Brother Glenn was speaking to this when he said, there's a danger there are zealous young men are almost going to jump off somewhere else. You know one of the reasons why that's true? Because us older men don't have the time to show them the way and walk beside them into meaningful ministry. We don't have the time. We'd love to do it, but we don't have the time. In my case, i got to be painting houses so I can pay the bills. you got to be doing whatever you're doing. And so uh, if you want to be proactive, I don't know. See, I thought about this. and I thought, I, It's safe for me to say this because I'm not in my group. I'm not in my conference or my fellowship. So I can put a punch in here for the Midwest people and it won't be in my pocket. So I'm taking the liberty to tell you especially your younger men, and most especially if they're day wage earners, hourly wage earners. Um, and I praise God they're, they're young men with vision. We, we went to one of our congregations, Brother Randy Hurst and I, the other night, and because some of the fathers are ministry, we just went just us two, because we weren't the fathers of any of them. And sat down with a number of the young men and just talked about their life. And one of those young men has already been in China and back and and he basically told us that he doesn't really want to go in a more liberal way but he don't see he don't see the power of God working with us like he does out in those places. And I told him I mean last last week I had laryngitis. I didn't know if I was even gonna be able to come here and be able to say much of anything. The night we met with those young men was one of the few times that Randy talked more than me because I could barely squeak. But I did tell that young man, that someday I have more voice. I'd like to sit down with you because I, I, when I was your age, I almost left the Mennonite church for the very reasons you're talking about. But I want to talk to you about this. And I just hope, God, that I could steer him towards a life of ministry that has both, the power, the push, but also the the practical life of Jesus that keeps us true to the standards of God's word. And it's it's possible for that to be done. Uh conservative Anabaptists can see the power of God, right? Would you agree with that? that? God does do miracles for us too. Sometimes we're a little bit too quiet about it. And our young people almost get to the place where they don't think God does anything for people that wear a plain suit, you know. but um we need to be if we're stretched so thin that we're neglecting our prayer life maybe we need to ordain some deacons or whatever else in this case it was deacons but it may be more you know committee members or bishops or ministers or something else We're definitely in a a tremendous spiritual battle. We're in those perilous times. I I think it's safe to say to all of us, if you're serious at all about your ministry, you're scratching your head sometimes and wondering how you're going to meet the challenge of this generation. When things are changing so fast in technology, the kind of temptations, the way they're coming, the, the... worldwide global communications and all the influx and outflux that's happening with our both our young men and women and the young married men and women and what all's there and, and how we're going to chart a course where we don't try to do a big, big book, but neither do we drift into a lifestyle that means nothing as, as far as Christianity is concerned. And that's serious business, folks. I was just at a funeral a couple of weeks ago. And I won't say a lot about who or what, because sometimes they record these things or people report what you say. And I'm not trying to throw mud at anybody. But I know this man well enough, he was nearly 90 years old, that had they had a public viewing and they didn't, I think he would have had a plain suit on. He was a man who always had a heart for missions. He had a heart for sending Bibles to China, food to boys' camps. But he also he also was a man who did it in personal life. He was the kind of person that could go to a down-and-out type person and try to find them a job and give them a house to live in and disciple them and try to bring them to Christianity, even at the personal level. So I would have a lot of respect for what he stood for. But he stayed in a church where the machinery had long since decided that practice didn't matter. And by the time that you look at the third and fourth generation, I don't know if some of them are even evangelical anymore. It's a whole lot more serious than just clothes, folks. I went to visit a a little bit distant relative, well, not all that distant, but of of my wife's in Guatemala once to a, a mission down there that would consider itself Anabaptist. But this comment was made to me, I don't even remember by whom, but it really made me think. They said that this, this couple that you're going to visit is probably the only couple in that entire mission that could be called evangelical. I don't know if you get your mind around what they're saying, but they're saying they're the only out of out of dozens of missionary families. Probably, they're the only ones that really believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved and believe in the basic miracles of the Bible. And uh, so we're in these we're in these battles. We're concerned about. You see, the moderate conservative churches that you all represent and that I feel like I do too, we're trying to do something that's really tough. We're trying to get people to follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly without using heavy-handed law and without losing a practice that expresses the faith that, that Jesus is all about. And you don't have an option to do that without... It must go back to the life of the man. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And, And Jesus said in the last days that the love of many would wax cold because of the abundance of iniquity. Now, I believe our goal, I believe your goal, and my goal is found in Colossians 1. Years ago, I asked Glenn Martin, you were talking about the old people of the past, only the older ones of you remember who Glenn Martin is as far as from our area. Uh, I asked Brother Glenn years ago, probably 35 years ago, what his goal for the church was. And at conference time, he preached on this verse, Colossians one twenty-eight, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And I trust that's your goal for the church. That's what I've been hearing here. How can we be? What's that going to look like for us to be proactive, deliberate, and intentional? In an effort that every brother and sister in our church could fit in verse 28 here. Wisdom perfect in Jesus Christ. And I was thinking about this thing of if you're proactive, it means you're not waiting to you need to respond or react to something. You're trying to stay ahead of it, right? You're trying to plan and, and work on issues, work on the vitality, the dynamics of our congregations before we're on shaky ground. But can any of you say that you haven't been caught by surprise in anything the last five years? I mean, things are changing. I didn't know a year ago that in our Local area, we'd have to work with young people who were involved in Clash of Clans. And maybe you don't, I shouldn't be exposing you to things you don't know anything about, but it's an online gaming that involves global warfare. And uh, that virtual sports would be addicting people as bad as pornography and heroin. That those kind of things would be popping up in conservative churches. I didn't realize that, that virtual gaming would go from everything probably to chess and Monopoly to, I'm told, this one global warfare type game that the top people are full-time paid players who do the finals in a football or soccer stadium with huge screens and tens of thousands of people in the audience to see who's going to win the final game. And you probably got young people typing in, clicking in. Maybe you don't, praise God. If you don't, don't be surprised if you find out tomorrow that they did. So, we do get some surprises, right? We get some wake up calls. Sometimes we must respond. And I guess the, the question in the way of this message is, even in response to a need, can we then turn into proactivism rather than just react and put another line in the big book? Tremendous, tremendous challenges for our people with all the information, including religious information, and all the music that's out there. And, and you know, if, if you want to know just at least one of my areas, I kind of enjoy certain areas of southern gospel music. Now, someone told me I might not be able to preach after this message, and maybe I'll change my ticket for tonight, but I... I I do, but I will tell you rapidly that I have real checks in my heart when I discover that someone is crossover singer with country music, one, or that they're divorced and remarried. That's a big no-no. Or or if they're just a bunch of play actors. But are people exposed to that? And then in the preaching side of things, you know, I like to hear really good preaching, and I've been hearing some of it here, but... I I clicked on this segment of of a man and I'm not going to give you his name publicly, but he's a well-known preacher in this country. And could he ever preach? I mean he had a voice, an amazing voice. He had an he had a way with words and tying things together. And as I was listening to this man, I was a bit mesmerized. This this man can really preach. But he was only preaching about five minutes, and I began to think, you know, wow, some of his prophecy ideas are pretty squirrely. And that so that was one flag. Oh, by the way, did you know? Now, I don't know. See, I don't know what you, brethren, think about prophecy. But the, these last 48 hours, the real The real prophecy gurus in the Mennonite church have to be going, their wills have to be spinning wide open because Trump just said he's going to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Did you know that? Just in the last 48 hours. And uh, be ready to hear some prophecy messages in the churches, folks. (laughs) It's coming down the wire. But um, this man... I mean, you know, I don't know if they're going to stone him or not, but he had, out of old Jewish prophecies, he had, he was convinced that Jesus was coming for sure in this year. Now, now, he's got about three weeks yet. He's going to be in trouble. But, um, so I was already shaky about this good preacher. And then all of a sudden an advertisement pops up, about $130 for three of his CDs if you're interested. Another big red flag jumped up. And then you could get this little silver omelet with it too. So then I started to check him out a little bit, and I discovered he was divorced and remarried, and I was finished with him. But, uh, well, but there's Anabaptist people on those wires that aren't all sound, and there's blogging posts, and there's confer with this and confer with that, and any more. Our people can even sit in the service and check whether they think we're right about something we're saying by clicking on their phones. By the way, if people bring their phones as far as the church, we ought to have a box in the back where they all got to check them in. But uh, they definitely oughtn't be, if they want to research, you know where the Bible says you should check out and be a Berean? Once you get home, not during the service But these are our challenges. And so my question is, what can we be proactive? How what does proactivity, intentional deliberate look like that each one of our brothers and sisters would stay stable, sound and deeply in love with the Lord Jesus Christ? And that when and I agree with your brother Glenn Jesus will always be the living power of God. And there will always be a faithful church. Even though he himself did ask, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? But I think the answer to his own question was, yes, he would. It's not going to be as many as some people think. But how can we, what can we do so that the brethren that are represented here, Your churches, the church where I go, any other church represented here, will be a part of that faithful bride. What's going to make any difference my voice as a pastor in the church versus all those other voices out there? How, How can I go to that young man and tell him, look... There's a way you can serve Christ in the power of the gospel without sacrificing values that the Bible itself stands for. And feel like there's a reason he will listen to my counsel rather than just take something that other people, maybe some other people have more charisma and pull than I have. What can I do about that? And there's a verse in Malachi that talks about fathers and children, but I think it can apply to pastors and members without doing violence to the Scripture. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. I would be really glad to hear some discussion on this, if not in public and private, but how can we best gain the heart of our people that we trust each other and we're willing to discuss the deep issues of life with a confidence that makes sharing and even direction giving something that's accepted and appreciated. Um, I was just, uh, I was going to say young married, but the man is nearly 40 but he was at my place Sunday for lunch along with some others, and, and we were sitting there talking about this whole thing of computer games, and, and he, he was talking about this thing of trust, enough trust that you can talk about sensitive issues without hackles going up and defenses going up, and so I brought this issue up and said, "All right, do you have enough trust?" He said, "Yeah, I have enough trust. Let's talk about it." So we we started uh, going over this thing of of computer games and how we how we can best address that, uh, how we can best help. You know, how how can we be proactive in that? I, I think one of the things is, brethren, we dare never point back to the Scriptures if the Scriptures don't say it. If it's a matter of just, as Brother Dennis said, and I think there are things like that. There are things that are safe and sound, but you cannot find a verse for them. They're just good wisdom. Well, if it's a young man or young lady, you better tell them that way. This, the Bible do not really say we need to do this, but as a brotherhood, we feel this is good for us. You can't tell anybody biblically they can't drink a bottle of wine. I don't know how you can do it. I was challenged with that already in Guatemala, especially by the Catholics, You know, because the priests say, and they say with good reason this, that, oh, you know, drinking a beer, that's not sin. But I have asked them already, people that say things like that to me, well, do you know of anyone who ever, ever sticks to only one at a time? and they'll admit that's not the case. Um, but you see, you you have to be honest with people about the scriptures if you want to have confidence and trust. If I can't prove to you from the scriptures the plain suit, I can tell you why it has served our churches well, and why I think it's a helpful practice to our non-conformed, simple lifestyle. But I can't, Pull out a reference and say, young man, this is why you ought to wear it. So listen to people, speak with honest and integrity, and care for them. Care deeply enough. Someone mentioned that here. Show that you care so that when you need to talk to them about clash of clans, that they know that you're not just being a picky leader. You really care about their soul and where they're headed. I think more than ever, and this, this is one of the reasons why prayer is so important, more than ever our preaching needs to be with power. I'm going to share something here you may disagree with, but I just challenge you to think about it. Protestantism says that the, the preaching to do and to covet and use and emulate is uh, expository preaching. There are plenty of conservative Mennonites that say that. I would like to respectfully disagree with that. I think there is definitely a place for expository preaching. But more than ever, our people need to hear a prophetic message. The heart of God on issues being shared with them in a way that convinces and brings conviction. Conviction. Now, that can come out of an expository message, but it's just so many times all the Bible has to say on an issue is not found in just one place. Now, if you if you do expository on passage and reach out to the other five places that speak to that and still want to call it expository, fine. But what I'm saying is, I, I told our ministry Monday night because we got on this subject sort of, and we had a minister's meeting Monday evening just past here. See, if, if in the pulpit you're not preaching to convince people of the truth, what are you doing in the pulpit? You should be a lawyer for the cause of Jesus Christ. You, you really, and I don't mean just preaching your own opinions, that's not what I'm trying to say. But we should be on the authority of God's word, preaching the truth to convince. And so folks, I would say this for the Bible school. I'm not on the board here. I appreciate what was shared. Uh, that aspect of Bible school that helps the students experience God, the one-on-one, one-on-one sharing, the, the expressing in written form of, of their thoughts and attitudes, especially the prayer times, those things that help people experience God rather than just learn about it are so important. And that's why the prayer behind the preaching. Because folks, our job as preachers is not to reach the intellect of people. It's not to just impress them how we understand the Greek and the original and how this compares with that and that. But rather, our goal in preaching is that the Spirit of God would come and convince the heart of the listeners in such a way that they're willing to live it. And I don't know any other better way to gain our young people than that there be a day and a moment when they're so gripped with the truth in their heart that they make an individual decision, I'm going to be all out for Christ. My life is for God. I'm convinced. And there can be moments like that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verses three to five And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's such a powerful passage. And I'm wondering if we think that we can study and study and prepare and prepare and choose careful poems and careful statements and careful quotes and so organize a message that people are really going to be blessed by this thing. Or if we have the conviction... That if we can get in harmony with God and God can use this thing, God can do a work in people's hearts that no man can ever do. And we look for that. We search for that. I, I, I'm going I'm to use names here. I don't think I'm out of place to do it this time. Some years ago, I was at a Central American ministers meeting in Costa Rica. And you all know this panel, just all of you, Paul Yoder, Pablo Yoder, it was his job to preach one of the revival messages uh, one night. And I must say it's one of the meetings I was at where I believe there was an intensity of prayer and seeking God almost more than any, including Central American gatherings that I was ever at. There was something about the meetings that year that there was a lot of, of spiritual energy. And Brother Paul got up on that night and said that God had convicted him about pride in preaching. And he was just going to forego his notes and forego his subject, his preparations, and speak about the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what he did. And he preached about the glory of Jesus Christ for a while and then gave an invitation. And people, all kinds of people responded ministry and otherwise, and there was a young man that responded, and it was my responsibility, or I was invited, my opportunity, maybe I should say, to counsel with that young man. The young man had very serious sin in his life. And this is what he told me. He said, I knew that I was coming to meetings where, you know, they were going to be somewhat intense is what he was saying. He said, I knew the kind of meetings I was coming to. And I had determined in my heart that I was not going to deal with this problem during these meetings. I don't think he intended to go with that sin his life, his entire life, but he didn't want to have to deal with it in those minister's meetings. So, So I had determined I was not going to take care of it, but he said there is a power here tonight I cannot explain, and I had to take care of it. That's the kind of proactivism I'm talking about so that when we decide whether we need to adjust the machinery or whatever we need to do, that it goes back to the power of God. I think today more than ever, it needs to be demonstrated, and I'm speaking to us as middle-aged and older in many cases, fathers, grandfathers, church leaders, more than ever, We need to show our people that our faith in Jesus Christ works. It works for health needs. I don't know if you practice anointing. If you don't, you should. The prayer of faith. It works for financial needs. It works for emotional needs. It works for reestablishing interpersonal relationship problems. It works for danger. It works for conversions. That if we will humble ourselves and seek God and allow God to purify our hearts and we go all out for God, that our religion works. I, I don't know. That sounds so simplistic, I know. But I don't know what better cure for Clash of Clans. I don't know what better cure for virtual sports. I don't know what better cure for... Going online and seeing all the flash and glitter of other religious pursuits out there, all the seeker friendliness and all the rest of it, I don't know of any other better answer than to demonstrate to our families and to our young people that this is the way you can walk in this way and God will meet your needs. and I didn't lay out for you because I don't think, I don't think a man can decide this for other groups and other churches what all programs and what all proactive things we can do but uh someone just told me in relation to service work and and getting young people involved in missions and service that this is something that someone like myself shouldn't have to do and I begin to think about that and yeah we have committees for so many things should should we have i I'm talking about ourselves. I don't know what... Should we have a committee that works with our young people? We have a lot of children in our churches. And as they come to the age that they could serve, should we have... Should our youth leaders be involved in this? Helping to mentor our young folks to direct their energies into sound, safe ways of serving. That helps them to experience the power and... and Activity of God's people. But without getting in an influence that will lead them astray. Are you, are you understanding what I'm trying to say? There are, there are well-intended efforts out there that in and right are good, but they're dangerous for our people because of the influence of practice. But could we be proactive in helping them appreciate those, those efforts, those places where and maybe walk beside them through the whole thing um, I've seen blessing in that even, even those who want to get higher education higher preparation uh, in Guatemala some of that's been done those that want to be nurses or teachers try to walk beside them um, I don't know But I know that of our young people, there's so much, there's so many voices out there that if we're not proactive in helping them experience the active work of Christ in the church, we're going to lose quite a few of them. And then maybe I'll just close by talking a moment about target praying. We tend to do a lot of general praying because it's safe, you know. If, if I say God bless this meeting, there's no risk in that at all, right? You all want this meeting to be blessed, and I can say that, and you can say Amen. But when you put yourself in the line for a specific need, and a specific request, when you when when you have when you have that cancer patient there. And, you're asking, and the prognosis is there's a 3% survival rate. And you anoint that person and ask God to heal them. Now, I still believe you need to say according to the will of God. But there you're starting to put your faith on the line. Or if there's a, a specific... I, rem, I remember... Uh, well, I need to close, but I'll just tell us a little story and quick. I remember this, this was not an Anabaptist group, but I've seen this kind of thing happen with the Anabaptists. The, there was this place like a Bible school where had a commercial kitchen, and the stove went out, and there was a group of people expected real soon. And uh, so they checked around, and I don't, I don't remember exactly, but it was something like this. To get the cheapest stove they could find that would meet the need, it was something like this. It was a figure like that. And they didn't have the money. They didn't have any money budgeted for a new stove. It kind of caught them by surprise. And so they got together staff and they prayed. And some lady called and said, my husband has passed away, but before he passed away, we started a fund to help God's work. And I heard that you all need a stove. And the director of that place said, yeah, but they're really expensive. She said, well, how much is it? He said, well, I checked around. They're $4,950, dollars 50 cheapest I could find. She said, well, let me go check our fund. And she went and checked, and she came back to the phone. she said, well, in our fund, we have, and she said, I need $0.50 cents to keep the account open. <laughs> And you know, if we learn to on purpose put our faith on the line and show people the gospel works, I don't know of any better proactivism than that. God God delights in doing this kind of stuff. I I don't know how many, this may shock you, I don't know, but you know I spent a lot of time in Guatemala where people don't have a lot of money. But I, I may have been in 50 anointing services in my day, I don't know. I've seen God do some amazing things in anointing. And I mean not all instant healings either. Stuff like some old man's dying of cancer. And did you ever know that God's not going to heal everybody, anybody forever? He does intend for you to die before you're 200. Um, you, you know, God just isn't going to. There was this 90-year-old man one time that wanted to him, And I told him, I said, Adriana, I said, you know, uh, we don't anoint for burial. And, and God may want to take you now, you know, you're, you're up in years. And he said, Brother Dwayne, he said, I, I don't have to be healed, but I just want to commit my life totally to God and, and put it in his hands. I said, okay, on that basis, we'll anoint you. And he died that night. So I haven't seen everyone healed from anointing. I saw this old man with cancer. The doctor said, he's going to have tremendous pain if he doesn't go to the cancer hospital. And I said, well, uh, will the treatments be all that comfortable? And he said, no. He said, but, you know, he had some sort of urinary thing, and and he was going to close up, and he was going to be in terrible pain. I said, well, I'm going to talk to him and see if he wants to go to the cancer hospital or if he'd rather be anointed and go home and die with his family. And I talked to him. He said, I want to go home. He said, anoint me, and I'm going to go home. And you know what? God somehow opened up a different track, and he was able to pass his water, and died virtually with no pain several months later. Now, God does all kinds of stuff, but if we give him an opportunity, we need to show our people in this era that the gospel works, that there's a real Jesus Christ who answers prayer and takes care of our needs. God bless you.